Chapter 43 of History of the Norwegian People, Volume 1 by Knut Gershet. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 43 Olaf Haraldsson or Olaf the Saint. Olaf Haraldsson, son of King Harald Grenska and Asta, descended from Harald Horfagra. His father died before he was born, and Asta was married a second time to King Sigurd Sir of Ringerike, where Olaf was raised. The people of this fertile inland district had taken little part in the Viking expeditions, but they dwelt near the centers of trade in southern Norway, and the new ideas and elements of culture which trade and commerce brought from foreign lands were easily accessible. Ringerike and the neighboring districts, like Hadeland and Toten, became at this time a center of culture, which is still evidenced by the many decorated runestones which were erected here during this period. Two of the finest specimens are the Dina stone from Hadeland, and the stone in Alstad and Toten. These districts were also making great progress economically. King Sigurd Sir, who seems to have been a peaceful man of no great ability, was more devoted to farming than to military exploits. But Asta was a high-minded and ambitious woman, who wished her sons to gain power and renown. Her words to her son Olaf are characteristic. If I had the choice, I would rather that you become over-king of Norway, though you should live no longer in the kingdom than did Olaf Tryggvason than that you should become no greater king than Sigurd Seer and die of old age. The sagas state that when Olaf was three years old, Olaf Tryggvason visited Ringerike, and Sigurd Seer, Osta, and Olaf were baptized. But according to the Norman chronicles and the Catholic legends, he was baptized much later at Rouen. Alexander Buga thinks that the saga statement may be true, since the boy was called Olaf, a name not before found in the family. Olaf was still very young when he went on Viking expeditions together with his foster father, Rane Vidfirle. They went first to Denmark, where they joined some Viking bands in a descent on the shores of Sweden and Finland. On their return, they visited Jomsborg, where Thorkel the Tall, a brother of Sigvald the Jarl, was preparing an expedition to England. Olaf joined Thorkel's forces, and they sailed southward along the coast of Jutland. After a battle at Sundvik, they proceeded to the coast of Friesland and Holland. Thiel, an important commercial town, was sacked and burned, and the suburbs of Utrecht were plundered. 1008 or 1009. From Holland, Thorkel sailed for England, and arrived there in August 1009. After Olaf Tryggvason had concluded peace with King Ethelred, and had returned to Norway in 995, Svein of Denmark continued military operations against England. In 997 and the following years, the southern districts were continually ravaged by Viking bands. A number of Danes and Norsemen had settled in England, and Ethelred feared that they might make common cause with the invaders. His fear and cowardice led him to secretly arrange a general massacre of the Danes, which was carried out on St. Bryce's Day, November 12, 1002. How far the slaughter extended is not known, but it must have been confined to southern England, where the Danish settlers were few. This event again brought King Svein to England with a large fleet in 1003. A war began which ended in the final conquest of England. King Ethelred fled to Normandy, and Sven was hailed as King of England in 1013. During these ten years, the war had been continuous, but in 1009, when the fleet of Thorkel the Tall arrived, Sven was not in England, and it is possible that the fleet had been sent with his aid and approval. At Southwark, they made a fortified camp but failed in an attempt to take London. The next year, they ravaged the country extensively and defeated Ulf Kiljarl and the East Anglians at Ringmere, and King Ethelred was forced to promise them a tribute of 48,000 pounds of silver. 
In 1011, the Vikings besieged Canterbury. Through treachery, they gained entrance to the city and they carried away, among numerous other captives, Archbishop Elfi, who had confirmed King Olaf Tryggvason. They held him for a ransom, but as neither this nor the Danegeld granted by Ethelred was paid, they stoned the unfortunate archbishop to death. He was buried in St. Paul's Church at London and became one of the most venerated of English saints. The Danegeld was finally paid and the Viking army gradually disbanded. Thorkel the Tall and Olaf Haraldsson entered the service of King Ethelred with 45 ships. They defended London against King Sven in 1013 and made such brave resistance that he failed to take the city. But after Ethelred had fled, and all England had been subjugated, London also submitted to King Sven. In this way, Olaf Haraldsson had been schooled in the art of war, and had lived through a period of youthful storm and stress. He had seen the wildest king of Viking warfare in company with the professional buccaneers of the Jomsborg, but he had also come into direct touch with European life and ideas in Friesland, Holland, Normandy, and England. What impression this had made on him we do not know. He was still a Viking, but nobler thoughts and higher ideas soon made him turn away from the adventurous path of rude Viking warfare. The spirit of Christianity and the charms of a new and better culture inspired him with the ambition to devote his life to the attainment of higher aims. The lost cause of Christianity and national unity in Norway was still waiting for a leader strong enough to break the evil spell which had fallen upon it. To wrest the leadership in national affairs from the unwilling hands of a strong and reactionary aristocracy, and to launch the nation upon a period of national development in compact with new ideas, was the great end to which destiny seems to have consecrated the life, the heroic courage, and singular devotion of this remarkable prince. King Sven died suddenly in 1014, and his oldest son Harald succeeded him as king of Denmark. But the Anglo-Saxons recalled King Ethelred and his son Edmund Ironside and Sven's son Canute, later called Canute the Great, who was in East Anglia, was forced to leave the country. In 1015 he returned with a large fleet. Thorkel the Tall had now joined him, and he had also called to his assistance Eric Jarl of Norway. Some hard campaigns were fought with the English forces led by Edmund Ironside, but King Ethelred and Edmund both died in 1016. Canute became king of England and married Emma of Normandy, King Ethelred's widow. Olaf Haraldsson left England in 1013 in company with King Ethelred, and went to Normandy to aid Duke Richard II in a war against Count Odo of Chartres. He accompanied Ethelred back to England, but left again shortly after on an expedition to France and Spain. He sailed southward along the coast of France, fought a battle with William V of Aquitaine, and then proceeded to the northern coast of Spain, where he captured Gunvaldsborg, and took Jarl Gerfen prisoner and forced him to pay a ransom. He seems also to have visited Portugal and southern Spain. The saga tells us that Olaf sailed into Gudelskiver, Karlsarne, but while he was lying there waiting for favorable wind to sail into the Strait of Gibraltar, Norvasund, and thence to the Holy Land, he dreamed that a strange and powerful but also fearful man appeared and bade him give up the plan of going into foreign lands. Go back, he said, to your Odal, for you shall become king of Norway forever. This is of course a legend, but Olaf returned to Normandy, where he was well received. He spent the winter in Rouen, where he is said to have been baptized but it is probable that he was confirmed here by Archbishop Robert, a brother of Duke Richard. In the spring of 1015, Olaf sailed from Normandy to England, and thence to Norway, where he would take up the struggle to re-establish Christianity and to regain the throne of his ancestors. He had only two merchant vessels, about 140 men, and a few missionaries. The moment was opportune. 
Eric Jarl had gone to England to aid King Canute, and had left his son Hawkern in charge of his possessions at home. The two merchant vessels which arrived from England created no suspicion. Hawkern was at this time in Vestlanda with only one war vessel, and Olaf entrapped him and took him prisoner. He was liberated on the condition that he should leave the country and never again bear arms against Olaf. Hawkern went to England, where his uncle King Canute made him Jarl of Worcestershire. Eric Jarl was made ruler of Northumbria, where he died in 1023. Olaf sailed southward along the coast of Normandy, entered the Follenfjord, Christiania Fjord, and came to his stepfather, King Sigurd Seer, in the autumn. He was now about 22 years of age. He was of middle size, but strong and well-built, with auburn hair, red beard, and ruddy cheeks. He had large, bright eyes and a majestic look. The saga says that he was well-skilled in all manly sports, but it does not state that he surpassed others in this respect. In speech, he was wise and eloquent. He lacked, however, the charm of personality and the chivalric qualities which had made Olaf Tryggvason so popular. He was less cheerful, less willing to compromise. At times, he was irritable and unnecessarily obstinate. But he possessed the resolute will and singleness of purpose which accomplishes great things. He had a strength of character and an ability to sacrifice all for a lofty aim, which makes him a great and tragic figure in history. Olaf acquainted King Sigurd with his plans, and received his promise of support. By rich presence and persuasion he gained many friends and adherents in Oplanene, and Sigurd Seer gave him all possible aid. The saga says that Sigurd held a meeting with the other kings of Oplanene in Hadeland, where Olaf was present. He urged upon them the necessity of throwing off the foreign yoke which the Swedes and Danes had laid upon them. They could now get a man who could take the lead in this affair, and he told them of Olaf Haraldsson's many exploits. King Rurik of Hedemarken expressed his regret that Harald Horfagra's kingdom had fallen to decay, but they were well satisfied, he said, with the present arrangement. The overkings were now so far away that they did not oppress them. It was doubtful if their condition would be better if a native prince became overking of Norway. They yielded, however, to persuasion, and Olaf was proclaimed king of Norway at a general thing assembled in Uplandene. The powerful Dale Gudbrand, Herse and Gudbrandsdal, also pledged him his allegiance. In the winter before Christmas, Olaf crossed the Dovra Mountains and surprised Sven Jarl, who was dwelt at Stenkjar in Trendelagen. Sven had to flee, and Olaf seized the food which he had prepared for the Christmas feast. He also advanced to Nidaros and began to restore the buildings of the deserted town. Here he met the skald Siegfot Thorsen, who had just arrived from Iceland. Siegfot became Olaf's herdskald and his lifelong friend and companion. But Svein Jarl and Einar Tambarskjelver soon appeared on the scene with a large force, and Olaf had to return to Oplanene. He now went to Viken, where he drove away the Danish officials. It appears that these districts submitted without offering any resistance, but a decisive combat would yet have to be fought with the powerful Svein Jarl, and both prepared for the inevitable struggle. In the spring of 1016, Olaf sailed through the Foldenfjord, Christianiafjord, to meet Svein, who was approaching with a large fleet, and on Palm Sunday they met at Nesjar near Tunsberg, where Sven was defeated after a sanguinary battle. He fled to Sweden and died on an expedition to Russia the following year. The Battle of Nesjar marks the final overthrow of the rule of Jarls in Norway. Olaf, who was now master of the whole realm, went to Trøndelagen, where he was proclaimed king of Norway at the Urething, according to old custom. End of chapter 43